0: you have any questions for politics and science you can direct them by email to politics and science at madriver.com that's politics and science at madriver.com politics and science can be heard weekly on wmrw lp warren 95.1 fm airing on mondays at 5 p.m And in the Bellows Falls area, can be heard on Wool, LP, Bellows Falls, at 101.1 FM, airing from 3 to 4 p.m. on Sundays and from 9 to 10 a.m. on Mondays. Politics and Science presents the viewpoints of its participants and does not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of any other person or organization. And today on Politics and Science, uh, the 27th of April, 2009, it's the second in a series on looking at the uses and abuses of radiation in our culture with a particular focus on ionizing radiation, i.e. nuclear technology. And again this week, I'm very pleased to uh, have Dr. Raymond Pete, endocrinologist, physiologist, and science historian from Eugene, Oregon, on the show today. And his website, if you'd like more information, uh, is raypeet.com. And Ray, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, Good. Uh, Last week, we talked about some of the systemic and long-term cumulative effects of X-rays and other types of uh, radiation. We also discussed radiation from power plants. And uh, many times, our medical establishment compares it uh, to less harmful things like sunlight. And uh, you discussed that and basically pointed out that it's like comparing apples and oranges.
1: The key idea is linear energy transfer how much of the energy actually gets into your tissue and interacts with it.
0: I see, and and the uh, ionizing radiation has uh, far more energy.
1: Um, Yeah, and uh, some of it, like um, the isotopes that get into the air and food uh, release particles that have an extremely high energy transfer, and so those are are the worst, and uh, the others um, penetrate deeply and uh, do damage along the way, but uh, the intensity of the radiation isn't the main thing. It's how, how much they interact with your tissue and in what ways.
0: So those are actual radioactive particles.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We Last week we talked about those, and we, we touched a little bit on the history of radiation. I mean, you talked about some of the scientists uh, getting badly um, damaged by handling radioactive substances. We didn't really focus on the history of the uses of radioactive materials in uh, science and medicine and uh, the military, which is eventually how they really got popularized. But, Ray, could you perhaps give us a little summary of of how uh, radioactive technology crept into our culture?
1: Oh, um, the... Um Almost immediately when uh, the Curies had discovered how deadly poisonous uh, radium and related isotopes were, uh, the medical profession uh, became very interested because it was a fancier way to uh, destroy tissue uh, instead of just poisons and and, uh, surgery and cautery and, you know, acid and such, Uh, they had a new technique that seemed technological and impressive, and so it very quickly went from treating warts and uh, tumors to uh, all kinds of bizarre quackery. Uh, um, I knew people uh, when I was in college whose facial bones were collapsing uh, because they had had the x ray treatment for acne mm. and uh, people whose hair had fallen out because they were <laughs> treated for ringworm with x rays. And uh, so, just total ignorance and arrogance combined to use whatever turned up.
0: And, who was is, who is treating them, Ray?
1: Uh, regular doctors. I
0: mean just regular general practitioners?
1: Yeah. And uh, when I was a kid, uh, shoe stores still had uh, x-ray machines so anyone could look at their feet, bones, and see if the shoes fit, uh, just a technological gadget that entertained people. Hmm. But uh, regular doctors had fluoroscopes that would uh, let you watch a person breathe and watch their heart move. and and watch their stomach and intestines move and so on. And uh, they were pumping uh, nearly lethal doses of radiation into people, and they would just stand there talking and watching for entertainment. Uh, some of those things were putting out, uh, oh, 50 to 100 rads in even a short treatment. And, if they had uh,
0: come in for a weekly exam, they would have soon been dead. Hmm. And just to compare that to a normal exposure from a chest x-ray, what? H- how much is that?
1: Oh, um, I guess approaching a thousand times more from some of those wow. I' In the last few years, I've talked to people who had a, a combination of uh, heart treatments where they put a, a, a tube or a wire up into your heart to, to open a, a clogged artery but they use a fluoroscope to um, watch where it's going and uh, these people get a tremendous amount of exposure uh, that, that is cumulative and it can cause uh, brain degenerative diseases um, and the um, heart uh, surgeons who do that kind of work have a high incidence of brain cancer, and so uh, they are advised to wear a lead cap so they don't get brain cancer. Hmm. But uh, the uh, various types of uh, physicians who uh, work with radiation, radiologists and heart surgeons especially uh, have a higher rate of uh, girl children and that's the same as uh, uh, electricians who work around high voltage power lines and uh, the birds that uh, nest near the high tension lines uh, it doesn't have to be ionizing to uh, have really made for biological effects
0: and why is it that they produce girl children instead of male children?
1: Um, apparently, the, uh, uh, the the male fertilized ovum and uh, embryo and fetus at all stages the male is weaker. The the female has a, a, a better resistance in general. I and, see. Uh, partly, it's because the all these types of radiation. Imitate estrogen uh, in their biological actions, and uh, estrogen is uh, tends to bias the sex ratio of the offspring.
0: And these fluoroscopes you were talking about—they um, were a novelty. That what what year were you talking about originally, where people were just they were using it just to observe the breathing and things like oh, that. Uh, that?
1: All through the forties into the fifties. Mm-hmm. The shoe stores, I think, they were outlawed in the mid 1950s.
0: And in the th- in the 40s, did doctors have any idea of the danger of uh, of X-rays, or did they just think it was a momentary danger?
1: Uh, doctors never have any idea about anything except what they're told is uh, good practice, and that were the information was available, like. Uh, chiropractors and you know borderline uh, people in the medical profession had pamphlets in their office at, at that time in the 1940s I saw uh, these pamphlets uh, giving references to the research literature showing that radiation accelerates aging process and uh, meanwhile real doctors were exposing their their patients to uh, doses that would not only accelerate aging, but would uh, tremendously increase the cancer mortality. Hmm. Leukemia was uh, extremely high in that period, not only from uh, radioactive fallout from atmospheric bomb tests, but from the medical uh, x-rays of pregnant women and uh, fluoroscoping of
0: the general patients so it sounds like our culture was basically in love with um, modern uh, technological gadgets uh,
1: just the same as it is now mm-hmm. uh, some differences but the same principles
0: and doctors I, I'm sure if most doctors if they you know, heard that information from a source that they respected would have uh, cut out those, m- many of those practices and I'm I think they have probably cut out most of the uh, uh, excessive ones
1: uh. well yeah but the people who um, sell the equipment uh, create mythologies to say oh those are just quacks uh, that warn you that uh, radiation will accelerate aging Hmm. Uh, now 60 years later uh, some of the best research is showing that uh, radiation uh, causes the formation of amyloid uh, the type of substance that is incriminated in Alzheimer's disease and degenerative lung disease and kidney disease and pancreatic disease and so on
0: amyloid is a plaque
1: it's a type of um, protein that forms plaques with um, it's um when a protein, normally the very common uh, structure of a protein is that there are uh, helix structures, uh, a spiral piece of a a chain of protein and with a certain disturbance those spirals can uh, break down and fold over against themselves and make a sheet arrangement called the pleated sheet Mm -hmm. and those sheets then can stick to a similar sheet structure in another protein and uh, this uh, array of pleated sheets in different protein molecules sticking together forms a long fibril and then those fibrils are what actually forms the plaque so first you form the uh, the degraded protein, and then the proteins form fibers, and the fibers condense into the visible plaques that they call amyloid.
0: And that's a common symptom in all al- al- Alzheimer's patients. Uh,
1: yeah, and it's turning up in practically all uh, aged tissues,
0: hmm. but
1: it's accelerated by radiation and. Uh, toxins and estrogen and uh, uh, even uh, microwaves and other types of disturbing energy. Uh, Ultrasound even can, uh, in vitro, you can produce amyloid fibrils Hmm. with energy as low as ultrasound or microwaves.
0: I I thought ultrasound was actually um, protective of uh, tissue, but, but I guess it does have some drawbacks then.
1: Uh, Yeah, Uh, everything that uh, puts energy into cells and tissues in uh, unbiological ways uh, can cause some disruption.
0: I can see how that would be. We were talking to uh, Professor Gilbert Ling a few weeks ago, and he was basically talking about the electrical nature of uh, living tissue, um, how everything is basically, in an an electrical relationship, all the proteins and the water within a cell. Yeah,
1: the uh, the electrical interactions between proteins and water, uh, that's exactly where the uh, problem is with all kinds of radiation uh, and even toxins. Uh, The romantic classical physics people who... uh, to uh, think mathematically about radiation and assure people that there was a threshold below which radiation wasn't at all harmful. Uh, this kind of thinking wanted to say that uh, a w- unit of radio energy had to be sufficient to uh, break. A chain of DNA before anything happened biologically and that takes a a direct hit Mm -hmm. and a certain high energy so that's where the the idea of the danger of ionizing radiation came from but before the ionizing radiation uh, actually has a direct hit and breaks a DNA chain Uh, It's doing many much more subtle things, uh, causing fluctuations in the electronic uh, system of proteins and causing subtle changes in the way water relates to those proteins. So uh, if uh, the medical world and physics had been paying closer attention to Gilbert Ling's work 50 years ago, uh, most of these questions would have been settled uh, in a very different way uh, with much more concern for protection hmm. than for promotion of industry.
0: So you feel like basically the marketing side of um, our culture is its what's determined its medical course?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, the people with an X-ray machine to sell uh, will tell doctors that this one is delivers 10 times less energy and uh, the dose is below the threshold and so you can give a person a a sub-threshold dose uh, every six months if you want to and they'll never have any harm from it but these little uh, sub-threshold doses uh, actually modify the water structure which directs the the way the tissue develops and affects things like the immune system, and the way uh, nerves pattern themselves, and so it redirects the course of your development. And uh, in in a young individual, that that deviation of development can produce drastic and fatal effects very quickly. In uh, mature people, it uh, accelerates aging and degeneration more often than a a quick cancer or other lethal event.
0: Hmm. So people became more and more concerned? Because it seems like there is more concern at this point.
1: People were already uh, beginning to understand it in the 1930s. Uh, I mentioned last week that uh, Thomas Edison, after 1904, uh, became a, a great opponent of the medical use of x-rays and other people in, especially in other countries were uh, studying the actual biological effects. And in the thirties, there was enough known that they should have shut down all medical x-rays and, and banned the uh, development of nuclear industry. But uh, the government and, and the nuclear uh, industry and the uh, the medical instrument uh, corporations were uh, re-educating the people and convincing the public that those researchers were only uh, unrealistic quacks that, that hated technology. Hmm. But uh, the, the subtle effects of the interaction of radiation with uh, cellular electronics and, and uh, cellular uh, light effects and water interactions with proteins and so on. Uh, all of those were developing uh, along uh, another course all through the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Albert St. uh was one of these people uh, working on the subtle... But essential uh, biological interactions of uh, electrons, water, and uh, light. And uh, his for I guess 20 or 30 years, uh, he was just totally sidelined, even though he won the Nobel Prize uh, for work on vitamin C and respiration. His work on uh, light and uh, sell luminescence and so on uh, just put him out of the mainstream. Um, People who um, criticize industry uh, become the the victims of corporate government campaigns to uh, convince the public not to listen to them. Um, The big nuclear corporations uh, I guess they still do it, but uh, some of them used to have weekly seminars where they would have people come in and tell the uh, staff, all the physicists and engineers working there, that radiation was actually good for them biologically. And uh, then they would uh, smear people uh, uh, who had presented evidence of... uh, toxic effects of radiation or nuclear plants. Uh, for example, Stern class uh, people were convinced that he was such a, a quack that they wouldn't even look at his books. And Alice Stewart, who uh, showed that medical x-rays were uh, probably the main cause of uh, childhood cancer, uh, for about 30 years she was ridiculed because the The corporations campaigned and and taught their uh, employees uh, that these were uh, basically uh, uh, demanded or or insane people.
0: Do you think this mindset was connected in any way to the military use of?
1: Oh, yeah, the the military, uh, once they started doing their atmospheric tests, uh, they. Joined up with the medical, uh, the uh, X-ray industry, and so on, and uh, they had massive campaigns to tell the public that uh, fallout was good for you, uh, that it was below a threshold, and and that it would actually stimulate you to be uh, slightly irradiated, and uh, the. the uh, Professors who criticized that uh, campaigns were mounted using some of the right-wing organizations like the John Birch Society uh, to uh, create scandals. Uh, they would uh, the professor would be identified as an opponent of atmospheric bomb testing, and then they would create a scandal uh, implicating them in some kind of immoral or uh, pro-communist activity, Mm. and get them fired for uh, something other than their uh, expressed opposition.
0: So it was really an an organized uh, campaign.
1: Yeah, yeah, very involving uh, organizations like the John Birchers Mm. and the CIA. And the National uh, the U.S. Public Health Service was uh, a major player in uh, that campaign to um, incriminate the critics and uh, hide the evidence, uh, destroy the evidence in many cases, and uh, tell the public that they were safe. So the, the public health service was uh, very influential, with the medical profession
0: especially. Hmm. It sounds like this, the, sort of the Cold War is when um, it started to really get bad in terms of uh, the universities being affected and and all of our public health services.
1: Uh, yeah, there was no uh, line between physics and biology because the the people with a biological orientation, St. Georgie and Gilbert Ling, and uh, anyone interested in the subtle biology, uh, they were uh, called quacks. And uh, the even the Cold War got involved because uh, the idea of acquired uh, damage other than uh, a random mutation uh, was identified as a, uh, Lysenko uh, Soviet doctrine, and they were fired. Hmm. Uh, so you had to be a certain kind of uh, genetic uh, dogmatist to teach biology in the United States after 1950.
0: Yeah, that's just so bizarre. I think most people think that you know science is an objective, basically art, and that um, empirical art, and uh, that's basically the bottom line. It- okay.
1: So a very good place to get uh, insight into how the whole system works is to start uh, with German uh, romantic physics in the 19th century
0: mm-hmm.
1: and see how that directly led into the, uh, the 20th century nuclear physics. Uh, they were wanting to uh, subjectify uh, physics and uh, make it part of a spiritual quest for unity and and seeking the absolute. And facts got in the way. It was presented as, as a subjective art expression. And uh, that's where the Heisenberg thing came in, that you can't know the things on the fine level. It's all ultimately random, and so our, our mind, the knowing system is the only thing that counts, so it's it's a, sort of a victory of subjective idealism over uh, empirical science.
0: That's interesting. I didn't know it started with the German Romantic physics. It sounds like it's sort of the beginning of um, uh, sort of, uh, eugenics and Aryan well,
1: pure thought. Yeah, yeah. Hitler was was just a business-like application. The others were uh, more refined and ethereal.
0: Hmm. And it's discouraging that that should live on to this day.
1: Oh, well, it was deliberately imported. Uh, The the journals of human uh, genetics uh, originated in the eugenics movement, Mm. and they renamed themselves after the war, but the German physics uh, and genetics people uh, were uh, idealized and uh, many of them were imported to become influential in the United States. Hmm.
0: You talked about um, the American culture and maybe all, most of the world's industrialized nations' uh, culture of love of new technology. and in, in, in terms of selling nuclear technology, it seems like the equation E equals mc squared and Einstein's popularity uh, really played a, a big role in bringing that to the front of popular culture. I don't claim to understand what E equals mc squared means, except it sounds like, just on a superficial level, that energy is the same thing as matter, which to me is a little confusing. It, sound, it sounds like it's saying that everything is the same as everything else.
1: Um, yeah, that that only becomes really dangerous when they start saying that uh, energy and uh, information are the same and that knowing and matter are the same uh, mm. the you can argue about uh, how how uh, interactive energy and and substance are Einstein had an interesting exchange with Max Born and other physics uh, worker, um, about whether the field of a particle is uh, part of the, the substance of the particle, and uh, they, uh, Einstein's position was that uh, the field should count as matter, and and so for from Einstein's perspective. Uh, There was nothing idealistic about it necessarily, Uh, that matter was just, energy was just another form of matter, substance, uh, that could be uh, related to ordinary forms of matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, when you invoke the quantum ideas, the Heisenberg principle, then you... uh, throw out matter and and substitute mind and information and uh, much of the computer culture is committed to that kind of uh, doctrine about the nature of knowing and information. It it wants to take the substance out of information.
0: So when you say that the field is part of matter, that means that the 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 matter is part of its environment. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah. The um, uh, the, the all of, of world, including our knowledge of the world, is part of, of the same substantial uh, stuff. Uh, the uh, the process of knowing becomes substantial and physical. For example. Uh, there are people who have demonstrated luminescence in the visual center of the brain and in the optic nerve and so on that uh, when we see uh, a, a colored light we actually light up with that color inside and, hmm. and so it's it's uh, putting consciousness right into the physical interaction with that uh, different substances interacting so you can think of our consciousness as a physical resonance Uh, we uh, are learning to tune ourselves up to the uh, energy of the substance outside and there's nothing uh, anti-material or uh, ethereal about that kind of uh, interpretation of consciousness but the the people who talk about information being transmitted along uh, nerves which have a simple uh, all or nothing on or off uh, switch-like behavior, uh, that reduces knowledge and, and its interaction with substance to uh, something mathematical. Mm. So many on switches and so many off switches Uh, are supposed to amount to consciousness, Uh, but nothing is left uh, that relates to how we experience reality.
0: Hmm. We're talking to Dr. Raymond Peet, endocrinologist, physiologist, and science historian from Eugene, Oregon. So it sounds like they're reducing what you object to, is that they're reducing life to uh, something that's just basically mechanical and it doesn't really live in the environment
1: yeah and it's always um if if you see information as uh, separated from substance uh, your interpretation like the heisenbergian idea interpretation is what makes the difference because you can never know uh, the actual uh, details of, of the fine structure of matter and so your theory of, of what you're perceiving is the real thing. <laughs> and, and so it, it uh, reduces consciousness to uh, a cluster of theories, uh, like states in the computer.
0: It, it sounds like it reduces confidence too. It, it sounds like Heisenberg is saying that you can't know your own world and you're
1: you you can't be sure about it. It's all probabilistic and random.
0: And is that essentially the message of quantum physics?
1: Uh, yeah, and if that if the really bad uh, consequence is that it all becomes deductive. Uh, the uh, hypothesis is tested uh, against uh, the reality, but the reality is, is merely a statistical probability. And so the the definiteness is only on the side of theory and that means that uh, you can think your way to uh, the absolute and and the truth but you don't have to learn your way because uh, out of this probabilistic uh, quantum world uh, nothing definite is going to come without the insertion of that specific uh, set of deductive mind principles Mm. and uh, the other way of looking at it is uh, that knowledge is always uh, something that is uh, inert and in the past except when we're learning new knowledge uh, the inflow from the changing world is where knowledge
0: comes from. When you're talking about, uh, those not being able to know, know the world, do you think that scientific attitude of quantum physics is, is used to basically say that, you know, even though there's radiation there and it may, you know, cause some harm, but we can't really know that. It, to me, it just, I guess, get the general impression that it's taking away the liability because you can yeah. be, you can be a corporation out there and pollute the heck out of the world and make a lot of people sick but none of us can really know if that's really true and so it's just the way it is Yeah,
1: that's for decades John Goffman went around uh, working for the government saying that we can't know that this is uh, causing terrible damage in the future Uh, the the idea that you shouldn't act on anything that you haven't uh, tested empirically uh, you can't uh, make your your judgment as a one piece of of the world uh, sensing uh, the possibilities, but you have to do everything after the fact. Um, uh, the uh, knowledge after the fact is the only thing that Goffman would recognize for years, and then suddenly it occurred to him that. Uh, if you're doing the damage uh, maybe it would be nice to take a precautionary attitude and now people are talking about a precautionary principle that uh, you should think about what harm might happen in the future even though it hasn't been uh, uh, hypothesized and tested in the the conventional scientific way Uh, it's, it's more like a common sense—you uh, don't wait until the accident happens to uh, avoid the accident.
0: Yeah. No, but Ray, we have a product. We have to get it in the market. If we do that, we'll lose valuable marketing time.
1: Yeah, and that somehow uh, people forget their common sense when they see people in in white coats and uh, uh, being sponsored by big corporations and the government. Uh, saying that uh, we have no knowledge that this is going to harm you in the future.
0: It also sounds like uh, quantum physics is is a very good physics for an authoritarian culture.
1: If you've ever listened to a lot of physics professors or tried talking to them, uh, you realize that the whole physics culture has that authoritarian, textbooky quality. They don't know anything if it isn't in the textbooks. And if it is in the textbooks, you can't question it. Hmm. Uh, they are, are very hard people to actually talk to, except uh, things like bowling or golfing <laughs> and their, their weekend activities. Mm-hmm. They can act like regular people. But as as professors,
0: they are in a, a separate world. So the textbook basically establishes the party line, and then that has to be stuck to.
1: Yeah. And if you read uh, the professional science textbooks, uh, looking at old ones, it's as interesting as reading novels uh, to see how uh, a given professor was uh, constructing his textbook, but uh, they are sometimes interesting individual works of art, but uh, uh, the outstanding thing is how rigid they are.
0: Hmm. When you say it's, it's it's like reading a novel, how do you mean?
1: Um, you can see the mind of the creator at work uh, sorting out the things that are to be emphasized and uh, not expressing uh, maybe this happened and, and maybe this is true mm-hmm. the novel would get very complex and confusing if they tried to be empirical about their imagination
0: I see. Uh,
1: the uh, the textbook writers are always too sure of, of what they're saying mm. and they're almost always wrong
0: in the textbooks
1: yeah when you look at old textbooks, it really makes me think of Monty Python. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you should, maybe you should put some of those skits into uh, screenplays. <laughs> I thought <of> that. <laughs> um, we have a, about 15 minutes left, and uh, I thought I'd, maybe we'd touch on a little more about um, nuclear power. And uh, one of the arguments I've heard now for bringing nuclear power back is... That, uh, for, number one for global warming because it's purportedly, uh, creates less greenhouse gases, although Helen Caldecott was just here and, uh, she agreed with many of the things you're saying about, uh, radiation and she said it is cumulative, but she also said that, uh, the production of nuclear power involves tons of greenhouse gases because it's so energy intensive to, to, uh, not only build a nuclear power plant, but also produce the fuel that, uh, goes into it. And I think some of the arguments for uh, bringing back nuclear power, because basically a new plant hasn't been built, I think, in 30 or 40 years, is uh, we should do what the French do, which is recycle the spent fuel rods that are slowly uh, but surely building up in all the uh, spent fuel rod pools outside of every nuclear reactor in this country. Uh, with no place for them to go. Always one of the big technological problems of nuclear power is what to do with the fuel. And uh, a lot of people are saying that, well, we can recycle those. And you said you just looked into that.
1: Yeah, there's a website called Environmental Devastation Caused by Reprocessing Radioactive Waste. And they mentioned that the French plant has annually discharged 100 million gallons of radioactive waste into the English Channel by way of an underwater pipeline and there was, you've probably heard of the industry and military dumping barrels, yes. hundreds of thousands of barrels of radioactive waste dropped in the ocean about 10 or 20 miles off the coastlines mm-hmm. all over the world yes. and those things are leaking and uh, the uh, food chain from the English Channel, it has already drifted up to the Arctic uh, over to Canada and uh, it it circulates gets into the food chain and then twenty or thirty years later the uh, people on the continents are starting to eat the radioactive fish that have eaten the the waste they dumped in barrels but that was banned in the 90s after. Sixty years of dumping.
0: Who, who was dumping it? The military, or?
1: Uh, yeah, the uh, Atomic Energy Commission, the uh, Navy, and Army, and uh, anyone who was authorized to use it would uh, dump it. And uh, the, uh, the the dumping in barrels was banned about fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they didn't ban. Putting a pipe out huh. under the ocean and pumping it out.
0: God.
1: And the, so this website says that the plant in The Hague alone has been discharging a hundred million gallons of waste every year. And uh, another one in England, uh, some in the United States, uh, dumping from the reprocessing plants, oh. they're dumping <laughs> these immense amounts of waste, more than. Uh, they dumped in barrels. So someone knew that it was bad to uh, dump barrels of radioactive stuff into the ocean, so then they started pumping it in in pipes. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need some kind of a concept that uh, doesn't uh, specify whether the behavior is governed by... Insanity mm-hmm. or criminality, because it all amounts to the same thing.
0: Yeah, the waste that's coming out of the pipes from reprocessing the uh, nuclear uh, waste is it is it contaminated water or is it actually particles or?
1: Oh, particles. Ah. Uh, uh, huge amounts of uh, even uh, uranium and plutonium mm-hmm. are getting into the water, and the fish are taking it up. Th- 90 uh, and uh, the shorter acting isotopes but uh, the whole range of junk is getting into the ocean still
0: yeah that's really discouraging um, well I hope that perhaps people will take a second look at nuclear power before they actually start building any more plants, it's never made any sense to me they always claimed that they would solve the technological problem somewhere down the road, but when you have a, a process that's basically spewing out the worst poison yeah, known the, uh, to man.
1: The United States uh, uh, has two very contaminated areas besides what goes into the ocean and rivers. Uh, the Hanford plant in Washington and the Greenville uh, dump in Carolina, uh, a nearby uh, town was finding their well water was contaminated with uranium and <laughs> the people reporting it said uh, it must indicate uh, some uh, natural uranium mineral source uh, upstream in the, the uh, water table. Yeah. It, it, they were only 20 miles from the Greenville a nuclear dump. Hmm. Wells in that area are being contaminated with all kinds of isotopes. Uh, Several years ago, I was driving uh, south on I-5 going about the speed limit in Northern California and saw a huge truck coming up behind me going about 90 miles an hour. And as it went past, there was this giant vat on the back, a big cylindrical... Tub mm-hmm. was the only load, and it said Greenville, South Carolina. Wow. Uh, and uh, so uh, the people who transport these giant bats of waste from Hanford to uh, South Carolina uh, aren't the safest type of driver.
0: Yeah, I remember there was some. Uh, debate about whether to allow them to move uh, nuclear waste around the country on the back of uh, semi-trucks and uh, they they did decide to allow it.
1: Yep, one de- of those trucks uh, going across the mountains from um, a Northern California reactor over to I-5 mm-hmm. I, I guess heading for South Carolina uh, the road was so narrow it got stuck going around it was uh, such a long truck that it wouldn't go around the corner hmm. in the highway and they had to take the truck apart which took all day uh, but uh, the, the people in charge of uh, the whole nuclear industry are no no smarter than, than the people who <laughs> tend cars on the freeway mm.
0: yeah that just seems like such a vulnerable thing uh, vulnerable place to put s- such dangerous material another thing I wanted to Talk about that doesn't have to do with nuclear power, um, is uh, incineration of medical waste. Now, I understand that goes on all the time, and that's actually putting it into the air. Uh, do you know anything about that, Ray? Uh,
1: no, but uh, the, uh, they, in general, don't, don't worry much about, like, when they, uh, put radioactive iodine into a person, uh, they don't worry about the person's urine. Mm hmm. And, uh, when bodies are incinerated, uh, that goes into the air. Much of it is vaporized.
0: Oh. Well, that's true. I had n- never thought about that. I mean, there's actually those radioactivity or toxins that are in our bodies if you yeah, get if cremated. Yeah,
1: if they die with radium needles in their organs, for example.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, just the mercury in teeth gets vaporized.
0: Oh. I mean, it's actually more dangerous at that point than it is possibly in your mouth.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: me see. Uh, you talked about Alzheimer's being caused by uh, uh, nuclear waste or ionizing radiation, and does that correspond with uh, sites near power plants and uh, nuclear reprocessing plants? Uh,
1: no one is very clear about that, but I think it'll turn out that it that it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are starting to look at uh, the various sources microwave, radiation uh, telephones and power lines and uh, there are some people who have been uh, working on that for about 25 years and and claim that it's so and I suspect it is.
0: Mm-hmm. So you think um, oh go ahead
1: um, cataracts are another interesting thing they're easy to study in a way because uh, the the cataract is a different state of, of the living matter and people have been trying to understand what happens in a cataract and it, it's probably analogous to what happens in Alzheimer's disease but you can uh, it's a much simpler system made up of uh, very few types of protein, <laughs> and uh, it turns out that in a cataract, the uh, proteins aren't even denatured. The uh, t- you would think that the uh, the radiation would have to uh, at least change the proteins to make a cataract develop, and they they are caused by uh, like surgeons get cataracts from exposure to Mm x-rays and uh, uh, people who uh, work around any kind of even low level radiation microwaves and so on uh, get cataracts
0: Hmm.
1: and uh, it turns out that the cataract is chemically almost identical to the surrounding tissue but it's wetter slightly higher water content than the healthy tissue around it Mm -hmm. and all that happens is a slight fluctuation in the electronic state of the protein and that lets the water get out of control and lets water accumulate rather than being under the influence of the uh, system of proteins and uh, the the electronic fields of Mm -hmm. the proteins so it, it lets you see in a very concrete way how uh, energy of uh, not even thermal energy in the ordinary sense but it is uh, you would classify it as thermal energy because it's just the vibrational state of the water molecules which has changed and uh, makes all the difference between a lens that works and a lens that's opaque that's- and uh, similar changes uh, probably happen very early in a disease like uh, Alzheimer's or cancer. That uh, uh, if if the tissue was visible, you would probably see it as a changing state of the water and electronic uh, behavior of the proteins that. That would be analogous to the opacity of the lens, uh, long before you got any of the major uh, deposition of amyloid and plaque formation that eventually shows up in in the, the tumors hmm. and the Alzheimer's brain and so on.
0: So you're sta- saying the stru- the uh, radiation is changing the structure long before, uh, in subtle uh, yeah. in subtle ways.
1: And, yeah, and if um, uh, just. Um, microwaves and ultraviolet light uh, can do it then that says that when a gamma ray or x-ray passes through your brain like bouncing off a dental x-ray that these very uh, relatively weak uh, transmissions through your your living tissue don't have to even ionize anything Mm -hmm. all they have to do is uh, slightly uh, add some energy to the system uh, it, it can not even be sufficient to uh, cause electrons to uh, get into a, a chemically reactive state but just enough to uh, cause this uh, semi-thermal fluctuation of uh, electrons and water vibrations
0: I see. And last week we only have a few minutes left. And last week you did say that there are things that, if people have to be exposed to things like X-rays, or um, you know any kind of stress, uh, there are things that, as a physiologist and as an endocrinologist, you say people can actually do to uh, fortify themselves.
1: Yeah, keeping your energy at a, a peak, like getting the damage done in the late afternoon in the summer, is best. But uh, keeping your uh, carbon dioxide up uh, with with uh, adequate thyroid function uh, adequate progesterone pregnenolone uh, testosterone and so on all of the tissue protective hormones and the nutrients uh, magnesium in particular is is the best established uh, radiation protective nutrient Hmm. uh, and coffee happens to uh, protect against all kinds of radiation damage that have been studied. Mm -hmm. Oh, and niacinamide Mm -hmm. is a a vitamin that is protective, and coffee happens to provide uh, magnesium and niacin, as well as the protective caffeine Mm. and antioxidants.
0: Well, that's great. Um, Well, we didn't really get to talk about microwaves or uh, Wi-Fi, which I guess is another for, for him, but uh, maybe some other time we'll get you back and talk about that if you're willing. And we've been talking to Dr. Raymond Pete, endocrinologist, physiologist, and science historian from Eugene, Oregon. His website is Pete, r a y p e a t dot com. Ray, thanks again for being here and uh, for, okay. for all Thank your you. work. Yeah. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Bye. And another hour has flown by with uh, Dr. Raymond Pete Again, his website is com. So thanks for listening. This has been Politics and Science. If you have any questions for Politics and Science, you can direct them by email to politicsandscience at madriver.com. That's politics, A-N-D, science at madriver.com. Politics and Science can be heard weekly on WMRW LP Warren 95.1 FM, airing on Mondays at 5 p.m. And in the Bellows Falls area can be heard on Wool LP Bellows Falls at 101.1 FM, airing from 3 to 4 p.m. on Sundays and from 9 to 10 a.m. on Mondays. Politics and science presents the viewpoints of its participants and does not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of any other person or organization.